all, you can't really talk about the early second wave of the women's movement without talking about This is a WLRN extended interview. Thanks for tuning in to another WLRN extended interview. I'm Thistle Patterson. My guest in this segment is filmmaker and feminist Vaishnavi Sundar, whose latest film is called But What Was She Wearing? and is about sexual harassment in the workplace. Even though this film makes no mention of transgenderism, a screening organized by Polis Project in New York City was canceled recently due to not the coronavirus outbreak, but you guessed it, accusations that the filmmaker is, quote, transphobic. In this interview, you will learn more about who Vaishnavi Sundar is and about her life in India, in addition to hearing her tell this most recent story of having her film career harmed by trans activism that seeks to humiliate and silence women, making it increasingly difficult for us to participate in the public sphere. Welcome to WLRN Vaishnavi. Thank you so much, Thistle. Thanks for having me. It's such a privilege. So why don't we start with a little bit about you and where you're from and where you grew up and what it was like to grow up in the region of India that you grew up in and what your childhood was like. Sure. Um, I grew up in, I was born and bred uh, and spent pretty much all my adult life in the south of India in the very uh, bottommost uh, uh, triangle of uh, the country. Uh, it's in a place called Tamil Nadu. Uh, the capital city is Chennai. Some of you might be familiar with it. Um, I um, studied here, I worked here, and pretty much was here my entire life. And um, I am part of a um, community that is considered to be upper caste and upper class, uh, but we grew up pretty much in a uh, very, very, very modest household. Our, we were not upper class, we were lower middle class at best. So I grew up in a very modest household and I also grew up as a very modest person. Um, and I and I went to a school that, in a, I grew up in a rural area, so I went to a school that uh, taught pretty much everything in my <laughs> local language, So which means I also learned to speak in English, but I was taught English in Tamil, the local language. So I was kind of when I finished all my schooling and I tried to go to college, university, I kind of felt very left out because uh, I wasn't speaking as good English as the other kids from the city who went to great schools and English was natural for them. Um, but then I didn't stop there and I continued to hang out with those kids even though I embarrassed the shit out of them by speaking in bad English and uh, eventually I guess I picked it up. Um, I... Um, Grew up in a very, very conservative household. Um, I had to think twice about wearing certain clothes and I had to get it vetted by the male members of the family. If they think that it is not good enough, then I will have to change my clothes before stepping out of the house. That's how it used to be. And they would uh, call it, uh, you know, care and they want to protect me and everything. But uh, I remember childhood was extremely traumatic and I also unfortunately experienced sexual abuse by a family member so it all added up to me becoming an extremely confused individual uh, going through puberty and I 
had short hair i did not have the whole typical feminine qualities and everything so it was like an overall confusing confusing childhood to confusing puberty to confusing adulthood until uh, about about 10 years ago when i stumbled upon a few books and few authors and started reading them it i did not have the habit of reading because you know i couldn't read and comprehend english that well we used to have comics books but that's about it um so when i grew up and i started understanding feminism through these books uh it got me thinking a, a lot of things made sense and i could sort of relive my whole life uh, through the lens of these authors and uh, a lot of things sort of was brought into perspective i understood what patriarchy the word patriarchy means i understood what misogyny means and um it it was like something just ticked off on my in my brain and uh, the whole world appeared differently to me but uh, when i was inducted into the whole world the movement of uh, you know the feminist movement i naturally um, moved towards this whole the choice bandwagon where the liberal feminism if you will where everything was okay and at that time it was so empowering i was like oh you want to wear a hijab no problem it's your choice oh you want to wear uh, absolutely modest clothing it's cool it's your choice or oh, you want to get laid it's cool it's your choice you know that's that's just how i was until uh, a point in time where uh, i figured it is just not all choice because um all these things that i claim was my choice i was not i was not receiving the benefits of that choice feminism myself and then is that is when i started questioning them and the advent of sex work is work um and the whole mainstream um re, uh, you know attention that it was getting sort of um did not sit very well in my head because you know i come from a community where the caste system much like uh, the race uh, in the west the caste system is pretty up there uh, here people can be killed uh, if if you even marry somebody who is belonging to a lower caste and so on and so forth it's it's that bad i come from that cesspool of a culture and i was wondering if an upper class woman would ever want to identify or would consider certain jobs or certain things that the lower class are you know they don't have a choice about it they just have to do it would someone choose to do that for example manual scavenging sweeping the road and picking up uh, shit dog shit human shit everything from the side of the road this lady that does that i'm wondering if i can just sit in my you know nice apartment look at her and i wonder oh that's work there's dignity in it okay maybe i can do it i can't do it and i know that and it is sick to think that you know she finds it uh, to be a great way to earn a livelihood picking shit when that is when uh, everything just changed for me and i started looking at books that question liberal feminism and that is when um i arrived where i should have arrived many many years ago into radical feminism where i started questioning um prostitution as a work um uh, that provides livelihood to women and the whole concept of pornography and this ridiculous advent of feminist pornography and the entire problem of gender ideology um i think i've taken very long to answer this question perhaps you would want to ask me another question and maybe we can carry on however you wish 
Oh, well, I'm curious to know who the authors are that influenced your thinking. Oh, uh, definitely Andrew Dawkin um, and, uh, you know, uh, Sheila Jeffries, Jermaine um, Green, um, you name it. I've, uh, um, you know. So Western, Western feminists, any feminists from India at all? Um, so when we talk about radical feminism in India, the radical aspect of the feminism here has only been about calling out caste oppression. So I have read a lot of that. I have read uh, Savitri Bhai Phule, who has basically, who's basically from a community um, that was that is considered to be untouchable. She's the first woman to um, build schools for girl children. She is she is my hero. Um, so, but when I read about her, she talks about um, you know um, gender, not gender, but uh, empowerment, women's empowerment in a way that speaks from a caste spectacle, not necessarily a sex spectacle. Um, but I have read a lot of uh, Indian feminist books, only the Western feminist books, radical feminist books that I have read really just completely threw me off of uh, liberal feminism entirely, something that the Indian radical feminist writers couldn't do. Interesting. I wonder what it is about Western radical feminists and Indian, you were saying the caste system definitely influences thought in India and culture in India. But really, you know, when the radical feminists that I've read, um, there's a, there's a, the Western feminists, the same ones that you've read, um, Mm -hmm. there's a real emphasis on female biology, female existence, um, Mm -hmm. and our oppression being based on us being female Mm -hmm. as opposed to some other, characteristic um and that that's universal so just because it's western feminists that are writing about this it doesn't mean that it can't be applied to other parts of the world would you agree oh absolutely absolutely uh, it's just that when i read andrea dawkin it didn't it didn't feel to me like i was reading um uh, something that is written by a woman um who lived so far away from me and at the time that she was active uh, the kind of uh, knowledge that she possessed and the kind of articulate uh, words that she put out and on all those books it did not seem like you know um, some westerner it felt like uh, I knew her and I wanted to give her a hug and um, it felt like I could relate to her words it felt like those were my own um, so, yeah, absolutely. Everything that I have read, um, be it uh, um, the Western feminists, any of them, it didn't feel like because I find it as a unifying model where the unifying factor is the fact that we belong to the female sex class. So I guess the nationality, uh, the demographic and the time in which these women were or are, it did not matter to me at all because I saw us all as one unit. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I, I feel like there's a discussion to be had about that within contemporary radical feminism. And our last podcast looked at black women in mm-hmm. America and the 
state violence that they face and how that's different than what white women face in our country and how do we unify? How do we come together? How do we build solidarity and sisterhood? So um, I think it's complicated, it is. but I'm really, gl- I'm really glad that you um, found those feminists and were able to relate to them and um, that you're here now. But yep. the, the feminist's journey is always a double-edged sword, right? Because we, we find one another, we build our sisterhood, but we also become persecuted by people who are bought into the patriarchy. Can you talk a little bit about your recent experiences with your filmmaking career and what's happened? Sure. Um, It was all going very well um, because uh, this film took me nearly three years to complete. So you can imagine this was pre-Harvey Weinstein era. Uh, is when I started working on this project. There was no me too, there was no time's up, but I was working on this, slogging myself on this project uh, a lot earlier than that. Um, It doesn't matter, uh, but when the film got, uh, you know, uh, made and I started screening it and uh, when the media started writing about it, Indian media started writing about it, it, it was considered to be very timely and I was considered to be this great filmmaker who has invested so much of her time and effort and everything. Oh, and also the fact that it was an all-female crew and how oh, we are, we are, we've like really got it. We got um, what we wanted to say with the film and all of those things. Now, all these women, uh, every single one of them that has written so eloquently about how the film was amazing and the filmmaker's vision was amazing and everything suddenly just it was as if someone just literally flipped something um off on their head and all of them have pretty much turned against me because of my politics that is kind of tangential to theirs what has happened is over uh, over the past uh, six to eight months um ever since i had the courage uh, to talk about these things openly, even though I thought about them, but I was afraid of losing all these things. Exactly. I was afraid of cancellation. So I was not posting about it as openly, as vehemently as I should have, as I do now. But I was, you know, discreetly posting about, uh, you know, men in sport and men and women sports and uh, how uh, gender ideology uh, sort of propagates these puberty blockers in young um children and it could be irreversible and how it's damaging and so on from a very very scientific angle you know like hey so uh, what's happening does it seem like a good idea I don't know you know that sort of a centrist kind of a thing but um, I think I should thank uh, Mary-Kate uh, Fain who the co-founder of Spinster for all the courage uh, I, I got and all the women that I found the sisters that I found in the community of Spinster that really just um, gave me this courage that it could be like a physical entity standing right next to me and telling me, you go girl, you post about it, let's see what happens. It's just that the kind of courage was uh, really uh, physical and palpable. And that is when I was just, you know, it was no holds barred. I was basically um, posting every single thing that came to my mind and 
slowly started noticing the follower count go down and all these people were kind of starting to be weird with me they would not respond to me the way they used to um these are the same people that said to me things like oh my god i'm just so glad you made this film or i'm just so glad to be working with you and then you write to them asking if we can meet them for something else they would absolutely it's it was radio silence i couldn't understand this behavior i thought you know i have always had uh, anxiety about female friendships uh, i was like okay so this is just another high school situation all over again uh, when i'm 34 so i didn't make much of it but um this particular community that got in touch with me asking to screen my film in new york i was on this exchange program in the us for about a month um were, had watched the film and they were very excited to screen it uh, the dates were fixed and the posters were designed the event page was supposed to happen a lot of people were going to get invited there was going to be this major q and a afterwards and a lot of south asian community people were going to be there it was supposed to be a big deal and just a few weeks before that uh, we are having a major protest going on in the country at the moment uh, with the you know citizenship amendment act and uh, so on and so forth so there was a protest and you would always find me in every protest uh, here in chennai so i happened to meet the person who was interested in screening my film in new york she lives here and there so she had visited then and she even told me that she's so excited and that she can't wait to screen it and you know Uh, see if we can bring about some change and collaborate in the future and so on and so forth everything was happy hunky dory um the dates were finalized and i was waiting on them to give me a link so that i could also invite some of my new york friends and i get this very standard template like email saying oh uh, we got uh, i- uh, information about your transphobic views uh, on twitter and uh, we as a organization are against any form of oppression or exclusion therefore we have decided to not screen your film um, that is nothing to do with transgenderism or gender ideology nor that i am a transphobe or anti trans or anything like that uh there was no opportunity to explain myself there was no even uh, mention that they would like to hear my side of the story nothing they they even gave me the links that they found it the they, they found the tweets of links that they found transforming i checked them out i haven't since deleted them at all i checked them out there was absolutely nothing uh, about it that was transphobic at all i was only talking about the men that identified as female uh who have posted videos of themselves masturbating in uh, girls toilets and i said how is this fair uh, and i said the safe space for trans people is not inside a woman's toilet that was my tweet and apparently that was transphobic and therefore they canceled my film that has mm-hmm. got nothing to do with <laughs> transgenderism or gender yeah. ideology whatsoever it's frightening because these are the intellectuals in the world that wish to screen films and then do a Q&A afterwards. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the people in the world that are supposedly in charge of leading society in civil dialogue and civil discussion and what they're modeling for everyone is that there are certain beliefs or thoughts or opinions or acknowledgments of fact uh mm-hmm. as some feminists would describe our point of view um that are just not allowed in in public forums and discussions that yeah. these ideas are supposedly so heinous and horrible yeah. 
that even intellectuals will uh, participate in cancel culture and silencing instead of having a robust, open dialogue, as you would hope. Um, And so it's really frightening because what does that say about where we're going as a world global society that really needs to have discussions and reflect on all different topics. I mean, yes, transgenderism is something that we all need to be able to reflect upon, especially if we have loved ones who are Mm -hmm. impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be able to have open discussions about it. But there's other things too. I mean, it's just so frightening to think about what this type of censorship and suppression is is doing just to the overarching ability for us to have honest and real dialogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to wonder when I was also on their side for a brief period of time, I used to wonder uh, when I moved over um, that, you know, their time would come too. They would see the light and they would move over on this side. Um, but it has not happened uh, as easily as it happened to me. I just found it uh, um, very, very simple. I'm a woman. I want to position women at the center of everything that I'm doing because it is my kind of people that are, whose, whose equality and whose safety that I'm fighting for. So when that sort of occurred to me, nothing else mattered. Biological women come first to me because I'm a biological woman and I'm going to fight for my kind. And that's like absolutely that was the absolute bottom uh, line for me and this includes women that are from different caste different religion and different region it doesn't matter the kind of stick that i'm getting in india is also a little more nuanced because as i said i belong to a brahmin community which is considered to be upper caste and you know how in the west when a white woman says that she is cancelled or something you know sometimes there's a certain community of people uh, who who have it far worse, who might challenge it by saying, well, too bad you got cancelled, but this is my life. For example, a Hispanic woman or an Asian woman or a black woman could tell uh, a Suzanne Moore right now that, you know what, it's too bad that, you, that Guardian is being uh, absolutely hard on you right now, but this is our life. We probably sometimes don't even have our livelihood uh, to take care of. That is true even over here. Only I am the white woman. And every other person uh, is saying something about how I'm just some, oh, this this one, one woman who I don't even know, she doesn't even know my life, uh, who called me a Brahmin spoiled brat who had everything handed to her on a platter. Therefore, she thinks she can do or speak whatever she wants. Um, that's not what I was doing at all. And if they had taken a minute to watch the film or even the trailer, they would understand that I am all for women and it doesn't matter to me. It is not to say that I don't don't understand my privilege. I very well understand my privilege and I am often very guilty about it. But I have learned to cut myself some slack. And right now, I'm not going to get on this whole appropriation bandwagon where if some woman is in distress, I'm going to ask for her caste and then decide, oh, well, this is your battle. Why don't you go ahead and figure it out? I'm not going to do that. I'm not an asshole. I'm not, I, I can't watch someone being oppressed and then walk away saying that's not my battle. But these people accused me of using Dalit women's voice for my benefit. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. 
So instead of showing solidarity for a woman who is experiencing, you know, the defamation and uh, the oppression of uh, that one can experience when one, when a woman especially speaks out, uh, they instead looked at your cast yep. and decided that you were too privileged to um, actually be a real victim of patriarchy, of misogyny. Yeah, I think that that is a huge problem that women face um, as we move forward uh, in yep. our movement. It's it's really difficult. I think there's a lot of, like, probably one of the, the worst problems we face is division amongst ourselves and knowing how to love and trust ourselves. Like you said, you're, you cut yourself some slack. That's mm-hmm. a, a gesture of self-love. So knowing how to self-love and then knowing how to extend that out and be able to love all of humanity, all of w- women, um, I think that's a huge challenge. Why, why do you think that's such a challenge for us as the oppressed sex class? Oh, that's that's what uh, is happening, right? Patriarchy is spitting uh, 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 two types of women or two classes of women to, f- you know, fight against each other so that they can continue to win while we fight. It's divide and rule concept. That's how I see it. Um, it's not like uh, there are no um, friends of mine who belong to a you know, quote unquote, lower caste. And it's not like they don't show solidarity to me or they don't understand that I'm of a certain political belief. And I am more than just my caste and I'm beyond my privilege. And and I am a human being. I'm a woman and I can, she can trust me and I can trust her. You know, there are very few people who can see that, but I am, I am not uh, grudging them uh, for being wary of a Brahmin woman coming forth to help because it also is true that their fear is valid. Um, um, it's pretty much the same thing as if I were in the U.S. Uh, uh, and I'm part of an organization and if uh, a white woman would, you know, who is in the, in the hierarchy of, uh, you know, uh, privilege, if a white woman were to be opted for something uh, over me, I would feel dejected and I would wonder if it is because I'm not a white woman, right? And these people's fear is totally understandable and I get where they're coming from, which is why over a period of time, even though it hurts like, oh God, it hurts so much, I have learned to understand them and give them that time before they can trust me and they would hurt during that time and I would just uh, build a wall in front of me and let it not affect me until such a time where they actually do trust me and they're on my side it it it, this whole film wouldn't have been possible if I if I was you know sensitive and I was I was hurting so much Thistle it's true um, because I am really just trying to make a film about women's sexual harassment at workplace and I really did not want to get mired into the whole caste and uh, confusion and and you know the suspicion of okay what does she want does she does she want to make money out of my misery is she going to be a mm-hmm. warrior of my of my plight or is she really meaning business i had to wait till they till i till i earned their trust and and it happened and the film was possible to make uh, all there are about 32 people uh, four of them men all of them women and it was as if i didn't even have to ask them uh, after this point it was like 
mentors in a cola can, they won't shut up. There was this one lady whose footage alone was for eight hours. Uh, by the time we finished and I had to edit it, it was very hard for me to choose which part to keep, which part to cut. Um, the problem, though, is uh, with patriarchy, it's easier for men um, to say that, look, you don't believe her. She's from X, Y, Z. And they will tell me the same thing. You don't believe her because she's below you. You know, she's not your kind. And they benefit from it. Like, we are idiots and we, we consider that to be like an actual threat. And we are wary of each other while... Truly, the two of us, the two women, are kind of facing the similar oppression, if not the same. Because in caste, they have multiple more layers that I probably won't feel. Like if I walk into a room, people might stand up to respect me because I look a certain way and people can see me. They know that I'm from a certain caste. But there are certain people who walk into a room, they would be asked to leave because what the fuck is she doing there? You know, so I, I get it. The problem is... It's convenient for patriarchy to put these women against each other. Therefore, if at all we dare to move past our differences and unite, we are going to take them on. And they don't want that. Mm -hmm. Therefore, these divisions are very, very easy. They're, they're just running the show. It's pretty much the same thing as they're doing with the transgenderism debate. I, I don't know if your uh, listeners would be interested in this, but there's a whole kind of uh, ambiguity uh, and, and the way the West appropriates uh, the Indian culture of transgenderism as if, um, you know, it is, it is pretty much the same thing as the modern day postmodern self-ID nonsense. It is not. Uh, what we consider the hijras, uh, the Aravanis and the Pakistani Kawaja Siras, uh, these people who are just eunuchs, they were castrated when they were young or what, at whatever age. And, you know, they were used as, um, uh, as early as in the 17th century, they were used as guards. Um, you know, in, in the Mughal Empire, they were the guards. They were given the highest position of power. They could make or break the whole kingdom. Um, the reason why they kept them in close quarters with the rulers is because they could trust them to be not, um, and I quote it, and, I, and I'm quoting here as, uh, you know, conniving or malicious or uh, like a gold digger or something as women, are, women could be. And at the same time, they are not going to be competitive like an actual male is because they are castrated and they are neither. So they keep them really close and they give them a lot of power. And because they don't have any other livelihood, they are very, very loyal to the kingdom. It wasn't until very, very long time that Mughal, the Jahangir, was the one of the first rulers to uh, abolish uh, young boys to be castrated and be used for imperial services. He was the first one to do it. Even in Islam, Prophet, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, used to have 40 eunuchs so close to the sanctum sanctimonium because they were kept there in order to uh, make sure that the place is quote-unquote pure because if a woman who is I don't know maybe not properly dressed who has evil intentions or could be menstruating shouldn't enter the sanctum sanctimonium because it's the purest of uh, spaces therefore the eunuchs were kept around the 40 eunuchs in order to make sure uh, and at the same time it won't be manhandling if it is a eunuch that is you know moving the women away 
So they had all kinds of purposes uh, in, in his, from the historic times. And what's happening right now, unfortunately, to this hijras and aravanis uh, is that they are resorting to begging. Um, and they have absolutely no idea about this whole transgender and self-ID and everything because they do not have a say in all these things. They are just, they are just, uh, you know, poor, really economically poor people who go in uh, search of some livelihood and end up, you know, resorting to prostitution and begging. Now, that's very, very different from the self-ID. But what the West is doing is they're taking the hijras and Aravani's cultural aspect of it and appropriating them as transgenderism. But they've got nothing to do with it. In fact, the Kawaja Siras in the Pakistan community are dead against the whole concept of transgenderism. They don't want to have anything to do with them. In fact, they consider it insulting if they're conflated as the same. You are listening to WLRN. That is the history of who Israel. who in the transgender population that's vocal is doing this is appropriating this ancient c- culture in India and saying that it's transgenderism. Do you know? Do you have names? No, no, not names uh, per se. But uh, if you even look it up, um, if if I were an Indian feminist who is challenging somebody, the the first thing that they would resort to is, oh, you don't know, uh, uh, India is one of those countries who has uh, welcomed transgenderism from a very, very early stage. What they mean are hijras. They are not transgender people. They are considered the third gender. They because And, and also the confusion between transing the intersex people. So all these people are apparently trans and all of them are apparently women and real women become cis women. Um, That is what I questioned and that is what I needed answers for. But instead of, you know, talking with me and figuring this out together as as women, as biological women, all of them literally just cut me out. And the kind of abuse I got from men, it was astounding. And and these the same people you ask them about the rights of trans men, they don't have a lot to say. So what these Indians are doing is they're mouthing pretty much the exact same thing that the Western liberal community, without a lot of uh, history, historical knowledge, are saying. They are coming and mouthing it back to here. And they're saying, oh, you know, hijras and intersex and, you know, Aravanis, they're all transgender. We go yeah. way back and it's in the history and so on and so forth. But what they are are just ignorant people who do not read. And if you give them proof, if you give them books to read, they don't want to do that. They just shut their ears and go la la la. Okay, so, and I would have to say that's very true over here too in America with like the Native Americans in mm-hmm. our country. Um, there's this rhetoric that's coming out of liberal do goodism, social justice mm-hmm. warrior culture. Oh, yeah. Um, that says, well, transgenderism has always been in Native American populations too. And, you know, we, if, if you're against transgenderism, then you're racist against mm-hmm. Native Americans. Sure, sure. sure. Um, and, and it's, and so there is this ignorance that is worldwide. And because of social media, you, people can get on a platform and make comments and, lead an entire conversation down a road to nowhere. Mm-hmm. So eventually, like, what what are the solutions to this? I mean, 
you you talked about how you kind of block those people out um, at this point for your own self-preservation and, and you are finding friends that do understand you and are there for you. Um, but at the same time, it's like there's this larger arena, like going to New York City and, and being able to show your film and then have a public discussion afterwards. And, and those things are being shut down what are the solutions to that? I mean, we need to fight ignorance everywhere, don't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the lesson that I learned uh, after this cancellation is that uh, while I'm blocking these toxic people because uh, half the time their stupidity annoys me more than their uh, abuses towards me. But uh, what I've learned is I have now renewed myself to keep the conversation going. If anything, I'm not going to be upset that these people said these things to me. I am going to encourage people coming to me and talking. And on that very, very um, um, positive intention of mine, a very close friend from over here, the same city that I live, identifies as trans woman. Um, and he offered to have a conversation with me because in the community he's considered transphobic because he believes uh, that men and women's sports is just bullshit. And uh, a person's uh, dating preferences shouldn't be forced upon them because, um, you know, even trans people wouldn't want that. You know, when people who believe in transgender ideology are being called transphobic, which is an aspect of transgender ideology I believe that that term mm -hmm. um, it really needs to plant seeds of doubt in everyone's minds about what it is that that's happening but I guess you could you could argue on the other side like um, there are black people in America they're called Oreos right Oreo cookies where they're black on the outside but they're white on the inside and they're actually on the side of white supremacy and white privilege, even though they themselves are black. And yep. so I would I would assume that's their argument is that even though this person identifies as transgender, they still identify with the cis privilege, the cis privileged class, which you and I both know that there's no such thing. But, there is um, no such thing. you know, there's there's just such an amount of like mental gymnastics in in all of this that eventually it all just sounds like noise to me and I I just want to have conversations with people like you and with other feminists and but yet be able to have those conversations I, I just want to have good conversations that are allowed to disseminate because if our conversations are suppressed entirely like your film was mm -hmm. you know yanked in New York City then those there are people out there who if you plant seeds they will begin to think and grow and be able to have a more liberating uh, feeling about life and how things are and how we might be able to bridge divides and get along and make sense of ourselves and, and of our society. But, but because of all of this censorship that's happening and the suppression, it's just, 
it's so frustrating because I, I don't want to just live in an echo chamber and have good conversations with people I know and trust. I want to have good conversations with people I know and trust in a way that reaches out to a broader and larger audience. And obviously that's why you would make a film, you know, yes. or write a book or write a song as in my case. Mm -hmm. And it's like women are just being forced or people who, um, but mostly women, let's just be honest, are being forced out of the public sphere. Like we're yep. being forced to be hidden. Mm -hmm. And that's just not okay. It's just so blatantly sexist. <laughs> it is. And it's so eerily similar to the Middle Ages when women were not actually allowed to step out of the kitchen. It's basically a redo of uh, uh, the, the Dark Ages. It just seems like that to me. Only we are infighting and now everybody wants to assume our identity as if one can just become a woman. Um, they also want to take away the privileges that we have or, or not and want to play the victim Olympics. And that is very, very confusing to me sometimes to even begin a conversation with somebody. You know, and the, the, after the cancellation, Thistle, I was very, very heartbroken. And, and it kind of gets to you, no matter how strong-willed you are, it kind of gets to you because it's just so weird uh, because you're just questioning yourself, like, what did I do wrong? I've got not. I am not anti-trans. I am not transphobic. I am not any of those things that these people are accusing me of. All I am saying is, I want to put women in the center of it. I was. I. I buried myself yes, into a but, hole. Yes, but that is transphobic. To center is. women <laughs> is transphobic. I just want to question your use of the term transphobic and denying. I feel like. You know, are you familiar with Venice Allen? She's a British feminist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. She recently um, posted and said, if you, I think it was her, it might have been her, it might have been Julia Long, um, but it was a British feminist and she was like, and, and what she was saying is, when you deny being transphobic, you are lending credence to the idea that there even is something to, to be phobic about when really their transgenderism is a house of cards because it's built upon lies. And so yep. there is no such thing as being transphobic. And, and so I just wanted to you know, put that out there as a, oh, you're, as a you're right. thought. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it, it definitely is a, a food for thought for me. I Because, I mean, I'm just parroting the kind of things that they accuse me of. And I'm just telling them I'm not. But then what you're saying is absolutely right. Uh, you know, I was just saying that I buried myself in a hole and I refused to come out of it. And I was just so upset that... Uh, all this work and for what I, I need that New York screening was supposed to be a big deal. And I and I kind of had plans of, you know, using that as a pedestal, as a foot in the door for many other opportunities in the future, not just for me, for my entire female crew. I wanted them to have avenues to work with New York filmmakers and so on and so forth. I had big ideas. But then the, oh, the by canceling just a film screening, what they don't realize is they canceled a huge opportunity for me that wasn't just about that evening, but for a lot longer than that. I was not going to do anything about it, but then I decided to write about it um, only as a as a means to open conversation and and I think that is exactly what has happened uh, after the after the article came out a lot of people uh, wrote to me saying of course uh, outside of all the abuses and uh, horrible things a lot of people wrote to me 
um, saying that it, it is it is spot on what you're saying. It makes sense. But is there a way that we can do this without, you know, having to make it so nasty? I said, well, women are saying exactly the same thing. Uh, we don't want to make it nasty. but And yet what's happening is nobody is listening to us. Nobody right. wants to have a dialogue where we, where we, even if we say that, hey, dress however you want, just like J.K. Rowling said, do whatever you want. Just don't hurt anybody. Just don't barge into. It's, you know, there's a, I used to have this joke whenever uh, I do Q&As. It's like when women were campaigning for uh, breast cancer awareness. Uh, the, until that time, everybody, it's just like, nobody talks about it but when women start talking about breast cancer the moment they do men uh parade uh, in and they are like but what about prostate cancer who's gonna talk about that it sounds mm-hmm. pretty much the same to me it's like a like a very twisted convoluted males rights activism in the form of transgenderism but if you say that to them they get offended they want to hate you more so the opportunity of having the conversation is shut instantly right i'm so glad that you wrote the article about what's happened to you because not only does it begin a conversation like you said you got letters people writing to you and and starting a conversation, but it, it, it's, it's a record. We, we, this is happening to women all over the world. We're, we're being canceled. We're being told we cannot present our work, our life's work in public. Mm. And, and in your case and in my case, my life's work didn't have anything to do with this issue. Really? Yeah. You know, like my songs and my songwriting is, Yes, there's some female focus and emphasis, uh, but, you know, I'm never saying anything, the word transgender or anything like that. Not and, at all. And so it's just very frustrating that women have made all these strides since the suffragists mm-hmm. uh, of the last century in being able to be in public life and as citizens participating in the creation of culture. And now we're just being shut down and then blamed for it. We're being nasty. Like, you know, some of these letters somehow are, that's what I got from what you said, that they're implying that, well, can't we just be nice? You know, can't we just, and, and, and the funny thing is, is yes, we can. And it, it doesn't matter. If you're nice or if you're mean, what matters is that you are speaking an unpopular opinion uh, that will get you shut down and silenced in other areas of your life that are unrelated to that area. Absolutely. And so so that so for that reason, it it very much feels like a regressive um, backwards type of thinking that's trying to get women out of the public sphere. Yes, you're right. And I mean, talking about record, um, you know, there's uh, the, the transgender bill was passed uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it's not passed in the ha- uh, upper house, it's passed in the lower house, Lok Sabha. Um, but 
people are protesting all over the country uh, even during the citizens amendment act uh, protest they're like oh but what about trans so they were there everywhere but the thing is what they're protesting for even though it's very very valid they're protesting for punishment of um uh, uh you know rapists if you are a quote unquote cis woman um, your rapist would if he if at all he is persecuted he will be behind bars for about 6 years and uh, if the said rapist uh, rapes a trans identified male or female um, the rapist would get about few months or two years and they are fighting about how that is unfair and how they rape must be so they have this campaign called rape is rape i'm like cool sure but nomenclature matters because when you call yourself a woman and you have record that says woman tomorrow you will tell me that a woman raped a man and that goes into record and you are completely skewing the statistics the uh, the crime statistics which is already so horrible for women in india you know i don't have to tell you about the rapes that happen over here tomorrow you'll tell me even women rape because self id is cool we are all woke what about all the work that people have done until this point to say where women can't even file an fir uh, they probably be dead before then because the rapists would have killed them there is no record of actual violence that happens two women and now this entire movement has brought about such a complex confusion where they are now going forth and saying well even women rape men but if you look deeply you would know that this person could have been at one point a man and now they just going by the whole women gender so to speak well i It's think crazy. you just i think you just named another concern that people who are critical of transgender ideology have which is the skewing of crime statistics yes because yeah we see cases over here um there was a case a few years ago a man killed a lesbian couple and their adopted son in Oakland California and mm-hmm. it was recorded at least in the media i never saw the police reports but the police were referring to him as a as a woman Mm-hmm. And so here you have, you know, your classic male violence against lesbian women and it's being recorded as women being violent towards women. Yes. And um I feel like just for the sake of truth, like you would think that even patriarchy would want to know the truth uh, yeah. of of what's happening in objective reality. but but really this movement the trans movement is is not concerned about truth and objective reality at all it um, seems it's like that's yes. subjective reality you yes. know yes yes how can they open their eyes and call an apple an orange i will never be able to understand that um, like you said uh, when when someone uh, the, when when the perpetrator is a trans the perpetrator in the news and the way it's getting blown up is always a woman that did a bad thing but if it is the person who is receiving the uh, you know um, whatever abuse at that time it would be transgender person beaten uh, bludgeoned to death or something like that yeah. that that is the hypocrisy that we need to address how is it that it's a woman when someone's 
committing a crime but when one is receiving a crime at that person at that point the person is trans it's like you're saying it's like how elizabeth warren picked out the trans people's death statistic when we are still fighting for abortion rights mm-hmm. um you know baffles yeah. me um few years ago sorry to cut you off a few years ago um, um i mean in chennai the city where i live in oh, we can't get emergency contraceptive pills over the counter without a prescription uh, especially if you look a certain way and i have had issues finding them so 3 or 4 years ago i ran a campaign and made the state government the district collector uh, the sorry the district drug control director to lift that informal ban and to make emergency contraceptive available for anybody without a prescription because it is a certain category of drug that does not need a prescription okay it it's it's still not available but i lifted that ban now imagine the whole ambiguity with the nomenclature imagine if tomorrow they say the somebody goes to the uh, you know pharmacy and they are denied what are they going to say man denied emergency contraceptive pill how how would this work and and why did i fight for this for this ambiguity right All very good points. It's wonderful to have this discussion with another like mind. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to uh bring us back to you and your career and yep. how the radical feminists and lesbian feminists who are listening to this program how we might be able to support you. I noticed in the article there some there was a call out for possibly doing screenings mm-hmm. um organizing screenings uh through our own feminist networks is is that happening yet yeah. and if you could just talk a little bit about your future yes. plans sure sure so uh, um i have basically um carved out this niche for me where even though it does not provide me a livelihood per se i kind of moonlight as a writer um i mean uh, before i got canceled and all these people ghosted me so that's how i used to make some money and i would always pull that back into making films in some way or the other and there are always some good samaritans who have helped me when i was running low on funds sometimes i put in my own money the savings that i when i used to work have a corporate job and quit to do films from that time i i'm it's fast depleting but it is still there and I, and i have a very very modest life so i don't have big spending um what i what has happened is because i make films that are very very specific to abuse pertaining to women you know gaslighting coercive control emotional abuse and so on uh, child abuse child rape people are often very very hesitant to openly support a project like this because for whatever reason you know even even women abuse or even uh, what about the lies or what if what if it's a fake case or you know so on so many doubts so people don't want to associate themselves very openly to any of my projects what has happened after this article is that when i did a call out a lot of people did come back to me asking just like you did um and and i can't thank you enough uh, how we uh, we we are now talking about this and more people will listen to it and it's only going to get exponential so what i have done is i have set up a little url where people can choose to pay a little bit of money and watch the film and if they wish they can 
write to me and I can give them access to the firm where they can download it and they can screen it within their community or, uh, you know, the library or the university. But the money that they are initially providing would help me screen it in a lot of these places where I, I can't ask them for money. I have to put in money to screen. For example, in the underprivileged schools or colleges where they don't have any means, I have to I have to spend in coming up with an event for them and that would easily cost me a good chunk of money so whatever i'm making uh from these this this link if if it if it does go out in public i would then use that to screen it in far more underprivileged places to get the conversation going in places for example where i can't make money but i can use to utilize this and provide screenings. And the tier two of it is if someone watches the film and if they see that it would be a good fit for a little community screening or, 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 or a feminist night or, you know, a movie night, or even if it is just for them to sit down and watch it in their living room and have a conversation, I am more than happy to provide access to the film in in, in, in any way possible. All I ask in return is for them to, if they can afford to do it, provide a little bit of donation that I would then pull in to make probably all my future films or all my future projects or try and screen them in all these underprivileged places. And and I can and I just finished writing a blog before us uh, having this conversation. I just finished putting a blog together so people can understand where I'm coming from. The trick is this is a crowdfunded film and and it shouldn't seem like I am again soliciting money uh, for people to watch it. But my intention is only to make more screenings possible and, you know, probably Absolutely. survive. Absolutely. Understood. I mean, you were just canceled in yeah. New York City, which was going to be a major event for you and your career. I, I think it's very understandable that you need to, a little boost and to have support coming yeah. from our listeners and really anyone out there who yeah. cares uh, about free speech and um, the production of film uh, and women's rights. So yeah. is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we end the interview? Oh yeah. Um, you know, so when I, when I found out about radical feminism, I, found myself to be in a space that was so isolating in India um, because I thought nobody nobody understood me. If I say something, say I, 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 I might lose friendships, relationships and what have you because everybody's big on porn and I'm absolutely not. And that was, I, and so I would avoid having conversations that would be, you know, touchy in general. But what has happened is uh, when I found out and then when I found this community, I have successfully managed to gather a few Indian women together. And what has happened is they're all radical feminists, all of them gender critical. Now I found myself this little haven, not just in my Indian radical feminist, uh, group, but also in places like Twitter, Spinster, or any other little groups on Facebook where they, these are filled with uh, radical feminist people where uh, they, when you say something, you don't come across like an idiot or they're, they're not hurling abuses at you. I, while, while it is a very, very tough battle, I have never felt so confident and and encouraged and inspired to do what I'm doing 
um, knowing that all these people are going to be behind me. And I'm not just saying this because of the cancellation or the support that I got before that, but even otherwise, I am just so utterly overwhelmed. I wish that I had 48 hours a day because I have so many things that I want to do. And now that all this has happened, I'm no longer in the hiding, which means I can openly do whatever I want to do with all this and uh, with even if it means I'm struggling to make few ends meet, I feel like it's hardly going to be a problem. I am feeling recharged. Um, and, and so I don't know what's the word. I'm loved and <laughs> feel like I belong somewhere. And, and it's yeah. amazing. That is wonderful. I, I think our listeners definitely need to hear that. And speaking as another canceled woman, <laughs> I, I want to echo that. And, you know, and it is these online communities primarily that where I'm finding that support um, with other radical feminists. But uh, little by little, it's, it's being branched out into real life. And I'm meeting other radical feminists in my community. And I think... It's very important for our listeners to know that it is becoming safer for us to come out. Sure, you may be canceled by one group of people, but there's this whole other group of people that are there to support you um, when and if that does happen. Yeah, and knowing that you got canceled, you are so... um, Um, desperate for it to not happen to someone else so you're doing everything that you can to prevent that from happening you know and and that that kind of vigor I I am really finding that to be so awe-inspiring in others as well the way you call out when you say oh it's utterly horrible what happened to you even just that word I would have taken this whole thing horribly horribly badly if not for the community support that I got. Um, my family probably wouldn't understand what I'm doing for the most part, but if, if not for this, I am now in full um, war mode, war mode in the sense, you know, like the suffragist war mode where I'm thinking, I'm not going to let this happen to another woman and I'm going to do anything, everything that I can to make sure that it doesn't happen. So I'm gonna, if, it, if it involves me being canceled again and speaking the truth, so be it. I'm, I'm happy to do it again and again. It doesn't, doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter anymore. Right on. And there's, there's a freedom in that for sure. Oh, yes. And yeah, relief. and there's That's a reason relief. we call it women's liberation movement, right? <laughs> so yep. thank you so much, Vaishnavi. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Oh, I'm such a huge fan of your work. It's not even funny. I'm going to hang up and I'm going to just jump up and down, have a fangirl moment all to myself. (laughs) Be be happy. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Tisolia. Have a nice day. That concludes the interview I did with Vaishnavi Sundar on Wednesday, March 11th via Skype. Ms. Sundar's recently released film called But What Was She Wearing can be screened in your area. Just follow the link in the write-up about this interview on our website to learn more about how to see the film and support it. As always, thanks for listening to WLRN. I'm Thistle Patterson, signing off for now.